What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Charlie's mic, Charlie's mic, and this is Warren's mic, Warren's mic. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today, part two of A Wealth of Wisdom, our special series with Warren Buffett. Hi! Becky Quick sits down with the Oracle of Omaha, 91 years young, with insights to share for profit and personal. You really want people around you that are better than you are, and you'll move in that direction. One of those, his partner of nearly 60 years, Charlie Munger. The Buffett-Munger magic. The way to get a good partner was to be a good partner. And these are very old-fashioned ideas. And they just work so fabulously well. And they work so well at Berkshire. And with a succession plan publicly in place, how Berkshire hopes to maintain that culture. We always knew, both of us, that there was more money on the high road than there was on the low road. Tracing their roots back to a small-town Nebraska grocery store. That was the last time I did any real work, actually. (laughs) And staying smart, savvy, and successful for all these years. I always behaved like I was 100 years old, even when I was young. You know, time is the ultimate limited asset. Plus, a $600 billion business can't be all success all the time. The dumbest stock I ever bought was, drumroll here, Berkshire Hathaway. And Becky Quick reflects on covering the business and the friendship of the men who built it. I'm going to tell you about one of the 10 largest companies in the world that's run out of these two floors in Omaha with 25 people. Okay, yeah, where? Where's the bridge that you want to sell me on top of that, right? Squawk Pod with Warren Buffett begins right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Berkshire Hathaway Chairman and CEO Warren Buffett and Vice Chair Charlie Munger have a wealth of wisdom between them. 91-year-old Buffett is a man of many words, true to his oracle nickname. Thank you. About 40,000 Berkshire shareholders travel annually to Nebraska each spring. Welcome to Omaha. The city is delighted to have you here. And Buffett holds court. We have with us the journalists... Carol Loomis of Fortune, we have Becky Quick of CNBC, and we have Andrew Ross Sorkin of the New York Times. They have received questions 
from shareholders all over the country. Andrew told me that he received a couple hundred just this morning. So they have selected among the best of Berkshire-related questions that they've received. And 97-year-old Charlie Munger, a World War II veteran who still goes to work every day, is a man of fewer words, but maybe his are more pointed, like this at an annual meeting in 2004. Well, I would rather throw a viper down my shirt front than hire a compensation consultant. Um. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger have been business partners more than five decades. We knew we were sort of made for each other, and we've never had an argument in this whole time. We are strong-minded. In that time, the pair have built Berkshire's unique portfolio of companies. Brands like BNSF Railway, Geico, Duracell, Seas Candies, and basically left them alone. The way to get a good partner was to be a good partner. And these are very old-fashioned ideas. And they just work so fabulously well. And they work so well at Berkshire. I caught up with Squawk Box anchor Becky Quick. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Over Zoom, about the Buffett-Munger magic. Neither one of them ever really wanted to work for bosses or have a boss or work in a corporate culture. They both said that they wouldn't survive it. They'd get fired. And I, I think that's why Berkshire is the way that it is. They like to let people have their autonomy. They like to let... They've got more than 60 businesses that they own outright, and they let the managers run those businesses. For a company that is now one of the 10 biggest companies in the world by market capitalization, it's an incredibly decentralized organization. I mean, there's 25 people at the headquarters in Omaha, which, by the way, they don't even have a, a building that they run their head, corporate headquarters out of. They, they, they lease a couple of floors from somebody else. <laughs> and that's where the whole thing's run run from. If I were to tell you the details of this, you'd think it was a scam. <laughs> you know, that, that I, I'm going to tell you about one of the 10 largest companies in the world that's run out of these two floors in Omaha with 25 people. Uh, okay, yeah, where, where's the bridge that you want to sell me on top of that, right? Berkshire is worth more than $600 billion today. Its growth started in the late 1960s. Warren Buffett convinced his friend Charlie to join what they remember as hunting expeditions, looking for undervalued companies with strong balance sheets. One acquisition was a mid-century consumer loyalty program called Blue Chip Stamps. Now, the float from that company, the money stamp buyers had spent that had not yet been redeemed for rewards, was used to fund further buys. Charlie, thanks so much for letting there, us be here. There you are, sir. Go okay. ahead and have a seat. Okay. Buffett and Munger talked to Becky about these early days. Comfortable? I'm comfortable. From Munger's house in Los Angeles. And then when we bought companies, we bought the first insurance company at Berkshire in, in, in 1967, in National Indemnity. And there, by that time, I'd refined my ideas as to the importance of underwriting and what you could do with the float and so on. You kept the redemption centers for Blue Chip open for a lot longer than anybody else did. And, and you've also talked in the past about how Charlie is the moral authority. Is that another example of him saying we will redeem every stamp that came through because it's the right thing to do? Well, of course it's the right thing to do. And I always say we don't deserve as much credit as we get for being halfway decent because we early recognized we'd make way more money on the high road. What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, if the high road is way more profitable, do you deserve a lot of credit for choosing it? <laughs> people get the credit of the people take it even when it's painful. We always knew, both of us, that w there was more money on the high road than there was on the low road. 
long, long ago. People don't yeah. even know about this, but we own two small insurance companies at Berkshire that both went broke, uh, except we didn't let them go broke. I mean, in other words, we could have walked away from them uh, and left money because they were separate companies. We paid up. Uh, I mean, we, we took care of them. I mean, it, 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 uh, we didn't walk away. Uh, and we haven't spent our lifetime you know, working in things to try and figure out ways to walk away from debts or have things in indentures and play games like they have, you know, with credit default swaps, uh, to figure out ways to take advantage of the, the lenders. Uh, it's just not our game. And, uh, if we owe money, we're going to pay it back. Born and raised just a few miles apart from each other in Omaha, Nebraska, Buffett and Munger were first introduced in the late 50s by a friend, Dr. Eddie Davis, one of Buffett's first investment clients. But they had something in common from their even earlier days. Both worked at Ernest Buffett's grocery store in Omaha. There's a restored replica of that place in the Durham Museum in Nebraska. And about 10 years ago... We are live this morning in Omaha at the Durham Museum in front of a very special store. Warren Buffett brought our cameras and our microphones to that recreated storefront. Actually, this is my great-grandfather. Oh, great yeah, because my grandfather did work at this store, but it was originally Sidney Buffett and Sons, and that was the last time I did any real work, actually. <laughs> Charlie wasn't at the museum with us that year, but he recalls doing about as much work. I learned how hard it is to work for 10 hours for $2. Shoveled wet, deep, heavy snow all around. We had these driveways and everything at the store. I went to my grandfather and he said, well, how much should I pay you boys? The dime's too little and the dollar's too much. <laughs> the main thing we learned from the grocery store was we didn't want to work at a grocery store. I want to talk about dads because both Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, even though they're over the age of 90 now, um, talk about their fathers and their and the influences that their dads had on not just their growing up experiences, but like who they became as individuals. And both men have this deep, deep sense of goodness and moral character and decency and and being around other people that they feel embody those traits as well. Um, Warren Buffett's father died in 1964, but it seems like he's still influencing Berkshire Hathaway. He's still influencing these kinds of decisions. Well, you know, there's a picture of uh, Warren's father in his office. And so it's kind of like he's watching over everything. And I think it's a great touchstone to, to think of people that you don't want to disappoint. That's um, a great lesson I've learned from Warren over the years. You want to surround yourself with people who make you want to be better. Um, and it is true. You know, we all know this to be the truth, even though we may not think about it from time to time. But when you were a kid, if you were hanging out with uh, people who were not a great influence, it brought you down. Uh, when you hang out with people who make you want to be a better person because you respect them and you don't ever want to disappoint them, I think that's what brings out our best self in all of us. Who the hell knows where you get your values from exactly, but basically, the, you know, you have a few people that are teachers to you in life and are, are not formal teachers, and the most important people are your, generally are your parents. I never heard my dad say to me in my life, you know, be sure you pay all your debts, but <laughs> I just watched how he lived. And, and uh, You want to have certain people in life that you don't disappoint, that you don't want to disappoint. You'll behave, you know, you want to have people that, that make you a better person than you otherwise would be. And Charlie does that for me now, but my dad did it for me early on. And, and I think, I, I didn't know his dad, but from everything I've heard about his dad, I didn't know he had the same experience. Charlie, tell me more about your dad. Well, my father was a lawyer, 
and he was the son of the, uh, another lawyer who became the only federal judge in Lincoln, Nebraska, which is Nebraska's capital city. And Grandfather Munger was a marvelous guy and a great family man too. I was surrounded by high-grade people and my parents had good friends who were high-grade people. So I had a very privileged life in terms of my associations. In fact, I had terrible trouble by coming out to Los Angeles and succeeding in life. I frequently thought I couldn't ever get a group of friends who were any, as good as my father had in the little and I finally realized that they had a very unusual bunch of friends in Omaha. And it was just a peculiar accident of history. So I was surrounded by a bunch of high-grade people. I deserved no credit at all for I was just forced to imitate the right people. I, my, I didn't know my, any others. My dad had, is it both Charlie and I, we, we, we like talking to older people all our lives. I mean, I liked yeah. when I was seven or eight years old talking to older people. And, now, of course, the problem is there aren't any older people, so, I, I, so I've run out of that constituency. But, but I, you know, if I would go over to the Dundee Presbyterian Church to sing in the kids' choir or something, walking home, I'd drop in at four or five houses where I'd talk to housewives. <laughs> but there were women that, you know, they were smart. They didn't have much to do with us. They to listen to listen to the radio while they were doing the work, so I'd sit and talk to them. <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed talking to older people. I think Charlie was the same way. Of course. When I married the woman that helped me build this house, one of her relatives said after meeting me, she said, that is the oldest young man I've ever, man I've ever known. <laughs> but I think this I always behaved like I was 100 years old even when I was young. <laughs> but now we're the youngest old men that you'll make a lot of And And... Charlie, just the relationship that you had with your dad, too. I, I... Oh, a marvelous relationship. And that's a great blessing to have a wonderful mother and a wonderful father, and they have a bunch of wonderful friends. It was just, it's, I was very lucky. I suppose every city has some unusual people, but, you know, Hiram Carson was the chief engineer of the gas company. Roy Page was the chief engineer of the power company. The Sylvester was the city editor of the newspaper. I mean, everybody. everybody Eddie, Eddie Davis was one of the great, you know, urologists. And, yeah, and, and, the whole country. Mm -hmm. He was to fly in from Vienna to have his operations, his own doctor in Omaha. Yeah, he, he was a very, and he played the goddamn violin just like Einstein. You know, he was a very unusual man. And I reminded him of Charlie. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it's. He was a lot better coordinated than you and I are. <laughs> that doesn't say much. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Charlie and I have fairly similar skills in athletics, which are not much. <laughs> yes. Warren Buffett bought his first stock at the age of 11 during World War II. I don't know what you were doing at 11, but I wasn't buying stocks. He bought shares in an oil company, a few for him, a few for his sister Doris, at $38 a share, and then sold when it hit 40 bucks. Now, Tween Buffett was not the patient investor of today. That oil company, City Service, soon hit a stock price of $200. In this anecdote and in so many others, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger's deep-rooted Midwestern values, the foundational experiences, and the people they knew in Omaha are never far away. Who else do you look up to? Who else would you consider heroes? If your dad was the first person for each of you, where does it kind of go from there? 
Well, yeah. I, I'm always meeting people that, that I admire. I was a great admirer of a biologist named Garrett Hardin. And I liked his books, I liked the guy, I liked his wife. I, I've always had people I admired that I was friendly with. So was Warren. Yeah, yeah. And Billy Angle was as interesting a young man as you'd ever want to know. And he, again, because another doctor, he graduated from high school at 16 or something. And be, he was in the Harvard Medical School when he was about 20 years old, you know. I mean, he, very smart man. Bill Angle got together 12 doctors in 19, either 58 or 59. And we had dinner at the Hilltop House, a little restaurant. And Billy, uh, Bill said, you know, these guys were all in their low 30s and I was in my high 20s. And he said, you ought to give $10,000 each to this guy and then forget about it for 50 years. And uh, one doctor among the 12 said, well, what happens if he loses our money? And uh, Billy, Bill looked at me, he says, well, dummy, he says, then we form another partnership. I was <laughs> and he was the only guy that didn't join. The other, the other 11 joined, and three of them are still alive in their 90s. One just hit 100, and, uh, but that was the kind of guy, well, well you dummy. No. <laughs> we <formed. laughs> he was very witty. When I'd come back to Omaha in my uniform, and he was in medical school, he wasn't in a uniform in the war. He'd say, Charlie Munger, you dirty draft dodger. <laughs> no, he's, he's a, he was breezy and witty and a very nice man. We've been able to associate with people that we really like. That's one of the luxuries of life. And we're still doing it. And we're still doing it, yeah. It doesn't uh, look like an annual meeting. It doesn't feel exactly like an annual meeting. 2020's Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting was, like so many things last year, virtual, and it hit on an important topic in a really strange time. Munger and Buffett are, surprisingly, not immortal. They need a succession plan. Frankly, I don't know what I'd be doing today if I didn't have Ajit and Greg. That's Vice Chairman Ajit Jain and Vice Chair Greg Abel. The two men run operations for two halves of the Berkshire business. On my left, we do have Greg Abel, and Greg is the vice chairman in charge of all operations uh, except insurance. So Greg, Greg manages a business that has more than 150 billion in revenues and across dozens of industries and has more than 300,000 employees. And he's been at that job a couple of years. At Berkshire's 2021 annual meeting, still virtual for shareholders in early May of this year, Charlie Munger inadvertently hinted that Greg Abel would take over for Warren Buffett as CEO. Decentralization won't work unless you have the right kind of culture accompanying it. Yeah, but we do. Greg, Greg will keep the culture. I feel that way about the people in Berkshire. You couldn't find a more high-grade guy than Greg Abel. He's just so much, there are other people who are able but he's not only able, he's just extremely high grade. And, and he's got a good sense of humor too. Yeah. No, he's, he's not as boisterous as we are, but he's very humorous. Warren later confirmed to Becky that he thinks highly of both men, that should anything happen to Greg, the torch would then pass to G. Jane, who's 10 years older, by the way. On my far left, you're right. You're right. We have a, a G. Jane and a Jeep was born and raised in India, graduated from college there. 
and I met Ajit on a Saturday in 1986, and Ajit came to the office, and Saturday I was opening the mail, and, and I said, uh, how much do you know about insurance? And he said, nothing. And I said, well, nobody's perfect, and let's, let's uh, talk about it some. And uh, by the end of the morning, I knew I had somebody that was going to build a great insurance business. And starting from that point, this improbable little company in Omaha uh, became the largest property casualty company in the world in terms of net worth. So, really, as big as the business is, and $600 billion is pretty big, Berkshire Hathaway is run by a very tight core group. We made a lot of money. It's fine. But what we really wanted was independence. And we have had the ability since pretty much a little after we met, financially, we could associate with people that we wanted to associate with. And if we just... If we associated with jerks, that was our problem, but we didn't have to. So that, we've had that luxury now for, you know, 60 years or close to it. That beats, that beats uh, 25 room houses and, you know, six cars or, that stuff is, what really is great is if you can do what you want to do in life and associate with the people you want to associate with in life. And it, it, it's, uh, and, and we both had that, that, that spirit all the way through. How quickly can you figure out if somebody is someone you want to associate with? It's amazing how quickly we do it and how few bad mistakes we've made. Yeah, how did I know Charlie? I, you know, I knew when I met Charlie, you know, after a few minutes in the restaurant that, that uh, you know, this guy was going to be in my life forever, you know. I mean, it, 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 we were going to have fun together. We were going to make money together. We were going to get ideas from each other. We were going to both behave better than if we didn't know each other. Yeah. You know, time is the ultimate, you know, limited asset. And why, why spend time doing other things with other people? And, and you do need somebody. What it really gave us was the independence to decide how we live our lives. I learned something from Charlie almost every time I talk with him, but he's, but he's never said, I'm giving you a lesson. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, well, the, the same way with my dad. My, my dad never said, you know, do this or don't do that. He just, he, if, when I was way off track at one time, he just said, like, you know, I know you can do better, yeah, basically. And, God, and I know you will. <laughs> and uh, that was better than beating the hell out of me or something <laughs> in terms of getting me to behave. Uh, uh, you really want people around you that are better than you are. And you'll move in that direction. If you hang around with people that are, I did that for a little while, they weren't behaving as well as you were. You drift downward. Uh, 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 you, you drift toward the people that you associate with. And we've had the luxury of deciding who we associate with. And not everybody has that luxury, obviously. But that's the real reward of capital to us. It's given us the ability to live the life we want to live. I don't think either of us would have necessarily risen wonderfully if we'd gone to work in the bottom of an army and tried to work up to general. Oh, Charlie, think, Charlie's uh, problem was, he, 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 was in, he thought he was smarter than his commanding officer, and he knew enough that you're not supposed to show it to the commanding officer, but people can tell when you think you're smarter. And so unfortunately, uh, you know, that's not a desired attribute. And of course, when Charlie was in the law firm, the original law firm, he was working, uh, as, uh, he was not a partner of, but uh, he, was, he was working for clients and he thought he was smarter than the clients. And of course he was, but that's really not, a, uh, it's not lovable. You don't want to radiate that. No. <laughs> <laughs>
Make a lot of friends that way. <laughs> Coming up. They're crooked. Little screaming crooked lawyers, crooked people. Becoming judges of character and getting good at it. It was like they had a neon sign on their forehead that said, crook, crook, crook. You know, I mean. Squawk Pod will be right back. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Over the 66 years Warren Buffett has run Berkshire Hathaway, he has made hundreds of deals. But believe it or not, he says acquiring Berkshire Hathaway, which was a textile mill he started buying into in the early 60s. The dumbest stock I ever bought was, drum roll here, Berkshire Hathaway. Eh, it wasn't a great idea at the time. The truth is, I had now committed a major amount of money to a terrible business. Berkshire Hathaway became the base for everything pretty much that I've done since. So in 1967, when a good insurance company came along, I bought it for Berkshire Hathaway. I really should have bought it for a new entity. Because Berkshire Hathaway was carrying this anchor of all these textile assets. So initially it was all textile assets that weren't any good. And then gradually we built more things onto it. But always we were carrying this anchor. And for 20 years I fought the textile business before I gave up. And if instead of putting that money into the textile business originally, we just started out with the insurance company, Berkshire would be worth twice as much as it is now. Sometimes it's the mistakes you make along the way that you really learn the most from and that make you better business people and better investors. And, and, and that's, you know, something I think people always forget. They always want to know somebody's best trade. When you ask their worst trade, sometimes the trade may have been painful, but man, they, they may have learned a lot and it may have saved them time and time again down the road. Was there any deal you ever did that, that made you really nervous? I, you guys are so laid back about things and it's, it's different in terms well, of- Well, we've, we've made a deal or two where we found we were in with a different person that we thought we were in with. In At one insurance deal that we made, we'd given our fountain pen to somebody and they just started behaving very badly with our fountain pen. Really? We, we were gonna stand behind it, and we didn't know how, how deep a mess we were in. And that was at a time when securities were really cheap. It was in 1973 so and four. I'd I mean, say when, that mistake didn't cost us a dime if you counted it in terms of general accounting, but the opportunity cost of getting involved with those bad people turned out to be billions of dollars. Oh, it's tens of billions of dollars, or yeah. even more. Yeah. yeah. In the early 1970s, Buffett and Munger were trying to grow their conglomerate, using the companies they already owned to acquire more. And it didn't always work out. 
They were, they were the bad people. They were crooks. Little screaming, crooked lawyers, crooked people. And the judge told them to quit doing something that they were doing was crooked. They, they kept, just kept doing our it. name. <laughs> they kept, and they had the ability, because of the laws of agency and a whole bunch of things, to you know, What had sucked the man in who signed the dumb contract with these terrible people was that the profits were unreasonable. You get associated with bad people. You associate with bad people, of course yeah. you're going to have losses. And we, that you worry about. I mean, if... We worried a lot. Yeah, and we got into, we've been in a couple of those. We don't worry about, if, if we lose money in something, you know, we lose money and we're gonna lose money in something, but but we'll make money over time. Uh, but it takes something out of your life. And in this particular case, it caused us to be, have to be very cautious at a time when opportunities were screaming, because uh, we did not know what these guys, they were out every day saying our name to policies that a judge would probably say they had a right to, not because, uh, well, they had a parent agency. And the judges had told them to stop and they kept doing it and every piece of paper they had it out was on, with our name on it. And uh, that was, and stocks were right at their cheapest. So how'd you get out of the deal in the 1970s? How'd you get out of it? It took we just soldier our way through. We finally stopped it. I crossed the ocean a few times, <laughs> even. <laughs> it, it, but we, but it, we lost a lot of money. But it was the aspect that we really. It wasn't like going a bank three million dollars or something. You know, you owe three million. But the, this, this, this was something where they'd stolen our name, in effect. But we haven't another like that for a great many. And decades. the interesting thing is, I didn't make the original deal. And when you saw these guys, finally, it was like they had a neon sign on their forehead that said, crook, crook, crook. You know, I mean, <laughs> these were not well disguised. Now, they, they had some people representing them that were the, you know, just the soul of, of state respectability. It's quite an experience. You can't make a good deal with a bad person. Just forget it. Now, if you think you can draw up a contract that, that is going to work against a bad person, they're going to win. For one thing, they they probably enjoy litigation, and you know, and they know more, they know more about it than you do. And I, one thing, I've had, uh, you know, I just don't have lawsuits. I mean, we're in the insurance business, so there's some legal stuff. But, but Berkshire Hathaway as an entity, or me personally, or anything, we don't get in there. We don't want to spend our life, you know, doing that sort of thing. And and besides, the bad guys win. They know more games. They may lose eventually, in the way, but, but it's no way to spend your life. No fools here. We'll have more of the wisdom of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger on our next episode of Squawk Pod. Please share your feedback with us. Send a tweet to Squawk CNBC, or if you'd be so kind, write a review on Apple Podcasts. We do check them out, and we do love to hear from you. Like and follow Squawk Pod wherever you download podcasts, and thanks. Thanks for all of it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.